Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. You guys, I've had an idea and I'm cooking it up and I'm going to serve it. Not yet, but eventually. Here's my idea. I'm starting a Patreon account for my podcast. I haven't worked out the logistics yet. It's not up and running. I don't have any anything planned yet for this. Well, okay, that's a lie. I do have some things planned for it, but it's not up yet. And uh, so I will be starting one. I will be starting a Patreon and on it I will be putting episodes that won't be available anywhere else. It's going to be awesome. And the Patreon will be if you are if you are interested or you, you know, you just need some some more stuff to listen to, it will be available there and it will be like those podcasts will be more like, you know, like morbid and spooky topics such as unethical scientific studies. So I'm going to like go through a lot of unethical scientific studies that have happened. I'm going to talk about haunted houses and haunted prisons around the world. I'm going to do episodes on Satanism and the Salem witch trials, forensic profiling, you know, psychology of psychopaths and more. When it's ready, I will release the first episode on wherever you're listening to this now for free just to titillate you to see if it might be something that you would be interesting interested in subscribing to. Okay, so this week I'm going to be talking about the Brentwood Five Massacre. I mentioned it on my podcast before, but if you didn't hear, it's the tragic case of a mass killing that happened in Alberta of five college students that were brutally murdered during a house party. So every April in Calgary... mm, I don't know if it's just Calgary. Anyways, there's a tradition and it's called Bermuda Shorts Day. So things are just starting to warm up around that time of year and people are just dying to get their legs out. So everybody wears shorts. They have a party. You know, the university has a party. The college students have their own parties. And it's in celebration of Bermuda Shorts Day and also the end of term. So school's getting out. Kids just want to have some drinks, have some laughs, and relax. So this is this is what was happening at this party these kids were having. And then things take a nightmare turn. All, everyone attending this party, they either attended Calgary University together or they knew each other from high school or like even earlier. Like some of them are like childhood friends. The house was off campus, but it was pretty close to the university. April 15th, 2014, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. The student's house was located on Butler Crescent Northwest in Calgary. It was just a normal looking three-story home with a basement, main floor, and a second floor. It had cement steps leading up to the front door. So I think this house was pretty well known amongst university kids. I think year after year this house was rented out to university students. Amongst the attendees of the party was 27-year-old Lawrence Hong, who studied urban studies at the University of Calgary. 
At the party that night was also 23-year-old Katie Paris, an amazing ballet dancer and very accomplished at it, and she was working towards becoming a dance teacher. 22-year-old Jordan Siguera was also at the party that night, and he and Katie had gone to the same high school together, actually, so they knew each other from high school. And he was studying history and religious studies at the university. 23-year-old Josh Hunter and 21-year-old Zachariah Rothwell were also there that night. And these two were in a band together called Zachariah and the Prophets, which they had started in high school. Josh loved playing drums and he was serious about a life of music. Zachariah, also known as Zach, was passionate about music from a young age age and he played guitar and sang in the band and their band was starting to pick up some momentum they were playing shows they were getting known uh, also there was a guy named brendan and he rented a room in the uh, brentwood house and he had invited his friend 22 year old matthew degrude to the party that night and and he said and his friend matthew was like yeah i can come like no worries but he had to work so he was going to work from 2 30 to 11 p.m at safeway where he had been working for a few years in in the produce section matthew lived with his parents in calgary and was planning to study law at the start of next term matthew's father was a high-ranking police officer with calgary police so perhaps this is where his interest in law originates from that day matthew went to work he made it to work on time 2 30 and his co-worker said nothing really stuck out big time but usually Matthew would say hello and greet his co-workers but on this day Matthew kept to himself maybe seemed kind of distant like didn't say hello didn't greet them and they were like okay you know maybe it's just having one of those days but they didn't notice anything too red flaggy Matthew's parents had been growing concerned about his mental health and even looked into getting him help but decided not to for whatever reasons or maybe they were going to but just not at that time. Either way, they they hadn't yet. A few years earlier though, they had in, got, put Matthew into a treatment center but for his use of drugs. In high school, he was using ecstasy and cocaine quite a bit but after he got out of the treatment center he was off of it and he was back into his studies and he was doing good the day of the party matthew posted on his facebook status like he made his his status on facebook dread and fugitive mind the world needs a hero which that isn't that strange apparently it's heavy uh heavy metal songs song or songs i'm not sure but he also made a post regarding conspiracy theories and you know that on its own that's not that strange either but it was the amount of posts that he made that day of like conspiracy theory posts that was coming off a bit manic later when his internet was when his internet searches are investigated it shows that matthew for the couple weeks leading up until the 
the incident that I'm about to talk about, he went down a very dark rabbit hole of Googling and searching Antichrist and Hitler material. So that night at work, Matthew purchased uh, garlic bulbs at 8 p.m. and he took out $500 in cash at the Safeway he was doing a shift at. And at 8.30 he left work, even though his shift didn't end until 11. Around 9.30, his manager noticed he was gone. His manager's like, where? Has anyone seen Matthew? And everyone's like, well, I saw him buying some garlic. And she was like, okay, couldn't find him. So she sends him a text. And Matthew texts back, quote, trust I never hurt anyone. All will be known, unquote. So that's a very cryptic, scary message to receive. Although he had a car, so Matthew drove to work that day, his car was still there. So they were like, well, his car is still here, but he's texting me, you know, trust I never heard anyone, all will be known, like where is he? But he purposefully left his car at work and he went and took public transport to go to a gas station near the house party and he got Brendan his friend who invited him to the party to meet him at the gas station because Matthew said he couldn't remember where how to get to the house or like where the house was and that was a bit strange to Brendan because Matthew had been to the house before but he's like okay um I will meet you so Brendan meets him and Matthew is like here and Brendan's like what is this and he's like it's a clove of garlic and you're gonna need this later. Matthew stated that vampires are real and he expressed he was worried about them. So Brennan put the garlic in his pocket. He was like, sure, okay, man, no worries. Like, I'm a good friend and I'm gonna take your garlic and I'm gonna put it in my pocket. And that's what he did. But then Matthew handed Brennan a knife in a sheath. And I've read different things about what this knife looked like and Brennan was like okay and later when they get home Brennan puts it in his room and he's like maybe it's his work knife because he's just come from work so I'll just put it in my room for safekeepings and I'll give it back to him later so from the gas station to the house it was just over a five minute walk and the entire time Matthew talked about conspiracy theories and he was seeming very uneasy and agitated and just not relaxed at all and very concerned and worried that night Matthew was sending some very strange texts to his mom and dad as well talking about religious stuff such as the book of revelations illuminati and one read that uh, Mary doesn't have to die this time operationed mind crime to American soldier So that's very cryptic. So I googled Operation Mind Crime because that sounded like it it was from something or maybe it was a experiment that he had read about or maybe it was a conspiracy theory or something. I'm not sure. So I just googled Operation Mind Crime just for just out of curiosity. And the first thing that came up was that it's an album by a heavy metal band. And when I looked further into what this album was about, I read that it's about 
a drug addict who becomes disillusioned with the corrupt society of his time and reluctantly becomes involved with a revolutionary group as an assassin of political leaders, unquote. P.S. I quoted that from Wikipedia. I then found a music video by the band for a song called Operation Mindcrime. And knowing this case fully at the time of watching this video and then seeing how it's like linked to this case and and you know maybe Matthew had watched this video it made it really uneasy for you know it just gave me a really uneasy feeling watching it and it was just a typical 80s 80s hair metal video but um yeah it freaked me out so I just I shut it off I didn't watch the rest it's on YouTube if you want to watch it so they get to the house party Brennan puts the knife in his room that Matthew had gave him and they both have garlic in their pockets so Matthew starts going around the party having small talk with people telling them how to kill vampires telling them they have to be stabbed in the heart and the blood moon at midnight would be the end of the world Uh, he seemed to be rambling about things that didn't make sense but you know his friends were like okay let's go for a, let's let's go for a walk let's get some fresh air perhaps try to gauge what was happening like you know maybe is Matthew okay mentally or has he taken something like maybe let's suss this out and take him for a walk so on this walk Matthew was like hold on a second I have to do something and just like ate a clove of garlic and he was saying that it was to keep the vampires away he was very concerned about vampires and he was just he just kept talking about the end of the world and he also was carrying a box cutter on on him so that made that made his friend quite uneasy to see you know Matthew in this kind of unstable time carrying a box cutter because they can do some serious damage so he was so Matthew was convinced the world was ending at midnight and his friend he inquired if he was okay mentally like he was like are you feeling okay like mentally like it's okay the world is hard I'm not sure exactly what he said but he was trying to like you know be like you know it's okay like if you're not okay it's, it's okay to not be okay and this made Matthew very agitated I'd imagine Matthew felt like dismissed or you know not heard because in his mind these vampires and this blood moon and the end of the world was very real to him this was a very real situation so they go back to the party and it just it gets worse when they get back to the party Matthew puts on blue surgical gloves and he leaves them on for the entire party he was even seen washing his hands with the gloves on and then drying them and then when he would be talking to people and they would glance down and see that he's wearing gloves he would put them in his pocket so people couldn't see see his gloves so his friends are like okay let's have a little talk in private with Matthew so they're like let's have a let's have a little chat over here you know just us and Matthew just keeps rambling about midnight, the blood moon, and purification. He also told Brennan that, so, okay, so in between all of this blood moon vampire purification, the world's ending, he was also having like coherent 
sentences and conversations as well because he told Brennan that his parents wanted to get him mental health help and get him on medication so you know that's a sentence that makes sense um and actually was true so during all the and during all of this Matthew was texting his mother and Matthew's mother was texting him and she was receiving conflicting messages such as I'm okay. No one is going to die. Trust me. It's reincarnation and you can't come here. You will die. So you see what I mean by conflicting? He's saying nobody's going to die, but then don't come here or you will die. So at this point, his father is like, okay, I'm going to go out looking for him because something isn't right. And his mother's like, I'm going to call police. So they, you know, they, they tried to, they tried to get, get ahead of this situation okay so it was about just after midnight and at this house party they also had a fire pit in the backyard and people were hanging out around the fire which sounds really lovely so Matthew went out there to go hang out with the the people around the fire and when he gets to the fire he he throws his phone into it and someone was like oh I'll get it and and they took out his phone trying to save it or just trying to you know not have battery acid bursting into the fire and they gave it back to Matthew and Matthew he hit the phone with an axe and then smashed it against a fence so now his phone is obliterated his parents can't contact him at all now Around 1 a.m., some of the partygoers got hungry and decided to walk to McDonald's. Yes, that's that would have been me. Um, and it, McDonald's wasn't that far away. It was an easy walking distance. They were like, let go, I'm hungry. So while they were gone, this is when things really, really just take a horrific turn. And something triggered Matthew. Matthew was standing in the kitchen talking to Zachariah. And he was telling him that the world was ending and they were having these talks about the world ending when Matthew thought that Zachariah was turning into a werewolf and was threatening him and that, you know, Zach was moving closer to the knives in the kitchen. In Matthew's mind, he was thinking, this is a werewolf and he is trying to kill me with these knives so I have to kill him first. The events that I'm about to tell you take probably longer to describe than how long it actually happened for this horrific attack to take place because all in all this attack took a minute it was like seconds per person. He's in the kitchen talking to Zach he gets very paranoid very scared he grabs a knife out of the uh kitchen like the knife block in the kitchen and he stabs Zach seven times then Matthew goes into the living room and he finds Josh and he stabs him six times then he sees Jordan and he stabs him once next was Katie and she was in the living room as well she sees what's happening she gets up and and runs into the corner or she's like freaking out and he went after her and he stabbed her four times uh lawrence lawrence hong he had been asleep in the living room on the couch because he had been working 
really hard on a project like the last two days so he hadn't gotten like any sleep because he had this crazy assignment so you know it's probably around like 1 a.m at at this point and he falls asleep in the living room and matthew stabs lawrence four times while he's asleep but he so he stabbed josh once and josh he didn't this didn't kill him and he managed to escape he ran outside but Matthew ran after him and Matthew was chasing Josh down the road and at this point the people had went to McDonald's were now on the road walking back so they're walking up the road and they just witness all of this unfolding they can hear Katie screaming inside. They can see Matthew chasing Josh with a knife. And Brennan was one of the one of the people who went to McDonald's to go get food. So he's walking back. He sees this unfolding. He chases after Matthew and manages to get the, the knife from Matthew because, you know, Matthew was still seeing Brennan as like an ally at this point. So he didn't have to struggle too much to get the knife from him. At this point, Josh had run back towards the house and he was laying on the front yard uh, with that stab wound that he had received in the house. For some reason, which, you know, we will never understand, um, is Matthew gave Brennan the knife and then Matthew's hands were covered in blood and he wipes them on Brennan's hands and he says that they are now blood brothers but he also like as much as he saw Brennan as an ally he also warned him if he gets in his way he would kill him one of the students who lived in the house wasn't part of the party she was upstairs in in her room with headphones in but she could hear the screams from downstairs so she locks her door she's like what the fuck is going on down there and she calls 911 the woman who took the 911 call said in an interview with a podcast I listened to on this case called Crime Beat. They did a very in-depth three-parter with interviews with the family and every, basically everyone involved in, the, in this case. So the 911 operator said that she thinks about that call every day. She could hear the screams and cries during the call in the background and it really affected her because it it would have sounded so horrific, like literal blood curdling screams. The 911 operator was eventually diagnosed with PTSD from this phone call. That's how that's how terrible it was. She says the caller was was calm, giving her the information. So that was good. But the background sounds were anything but calm. After the 911 call, the housemate who, who made the call, she went downstairs to see what was happening and was met with the gruesome scene. She rushed to their aid, but Zach, Jordan, and Lawrence had died from their injuries. Paramedics arrived very fast. So the housemate who made the call who was upstairs, she wasn't the only one who called um, emergency services they had like three or four calls I, in one report it read like up to seven so they had like seven calls about this incident paramedics arrived very very fast josh and katie they went to hospital but both died that same day zach jordan and lawrence had died at the scene and were already dead when paramedics arrived matthew had fled 
he took off on foot running police quickly spot him running nearby they find him and they have the canine unit on hand and release the dog on matthew as he so so matthew was hiding in a dumpster he jumps out of this dumpster and he starts running down an alleyway and they release the dog and the dog catches up to him and tries to jump on matthew and a struggle begins and matthew actually punches the police dog in the head he then runs at police with like no fear like he's like ah and he tries to attack police eventually the police and police dog get matthew down and he was bitten pretty pretty hard on the hand by the dog and and he didn't even like scream or wince like it it, it completely didn't even phase him like it didn't even affect him at all that he was just bit by this you know very powerful jaw of very sharp teeth from a dog it was it was a struggle but they managed to cuff him and they search him so police they got these calls between 1 20 a.m and 1 23 a.m and they arrived on the scene at 1 26 three minutes it took them to get there that's that's very good timing and they had matthew arrested and in their custody only a half hour after the stabbing so they worked very uh very quickly on this so when police arrest matthew they search him and they find gloves like the the surgical gloves on him and garlic once inside the ambulance matthew states he was only trying to kill them before they killed him talking about the police so in matthew's mind his life was in danger matthew went to hospital and was placed under arrest for murder he was still rambling nonsensical things um and so so at this time he was charged with murder and attempted murder because there had only been three known deaths and two were being treated in the hospital for their stab wounds so matthew he was talking a lot like he he like yeah he was talking a lot matthew claimed he was being controlled by the son of god uh, and the people he killed were medusas and that zach was looking like a werewolf and he had to kill him first and this went on for a long time like hours and hours and hours matthew recounts what happened after being told it was now five murders because the two eventually died later in hospital he was being charged with so so now he's being charged with five murders he said he had to kill them they were vampires and werewolves and you know there was a difference between killing and murder and he regrets killing the girl he also said he he didn't like doing it and that he requested that they keep his hands cuffed because he doesn't want to do it again by this time it was all over the news and and parents were you know it was the morning time now so this was all over morning news and parents were watching it and they were wondering and really scared if it was their kids because you know so many people had had you know young adults sons and daughters out partying or teenagers out partying for bermuda short stay so police were getting a ton of phone calls from parents being like who was it who was it like and looking for for their kids 
So police go and talk to the five families like immediately to deliver, you know, the worst news a, a parent can can get. So in 2016, the trial begins and to no surprise, a huge part of the trial was based around Matthew's uh, mental health and whether or not he knew what he was doing. The psychiatric evaluations concluded that Matthew was psychotic when he did the stabbings and that weeks prior to the incident, Matthew thought that he was the son of God. Also that he thought the victims were Illuminati and the devil told him to do it. Matthew was diagnosed with schizophrenia and experts are totally convinced and, and, you know, they're totally convinced it was real and they don't believe that he was faking it. Experts also said that Matthew, he was not criminally responsible for his actions that night because of the the schizophrenia. May 25th, 2016, Matthew was sent to a psychiatric facility to be treated for schizophrenia. Well, at the facility, Matthew's condition improved with the aid of med- medication, which he wanted to take. He was willing to take that medication because he really wanted to stop the voices in his head and he didn't want to hurt anybody else. But being put in one of these psychiatric facilities, it's not a long-term plan. So the courts in Canada, the whole point of them doing this is to rehabilitate somebody so they can be released back into society. Every year there is a review board hearing and every year the victims' families attend this hearing and they have to relive the heartbreaking tragedy you know of the death of their children which oh would just be so terrible and every year the families have to give a victim impact statement and it's just really messed up to put families through this every year and I and I listened to an interview with the families and they were like it's so hard and we have to write these statements and then we have to go do this and then it takes months to recover and then before you know it boom it the year is up and you have to write your another victim impact statement you have to go again and you have to do the whole ordeal again so it's just hell for the for the families of that lost their children by 2017 just one year after the sentencing Matthew was allowed to go outside of the facility with supervision then 2018 he was moved to a different facility in Edmonton Alberta where he was given unsupervised access to the facility's grounds and supervised visits to the city and also granted 24-hour leave if he was going to stay with his family so his freedoms are getting more and more then 2019 matthew was granted unsupervised visits into the city and also a week outside the province while being accompanied by an adult and he can also leave the facility overnight it's totally possible the you know the victim's families could see him shopping or walking around on the street which is just i can't these poor families In their review, experts explain that schizophrenia can only be managed and not cured. So as long as Matthew takes his medication, he shouldn't relapse. But if he stops taking his medication or if he gets really, really stressed out or, 
you know, is in the process of switching medications, the relapse will be very bad. And the families are very concerned about this. And they would like uh, Matthew to be supervised 24-7 for the rest of his life just to ensure that he takes his medication. And since stress can also trigger a relapse, even on his medication, the families, they don't want to take that chance. Like they've seen firsthand what can happen and they they're worried for other people as well like they're you know it's not just about justice but they're they're worried in an article i found published in 2021 by calgary news it stated that so 2021 matthew was 30 years old now so it stated that 30 year old matthew had been cleared to transition into a group home which from what i gathered it is supervised 24 hours so that's good they can ensure that he's taking his medication the board will not allow a complete discharge as he is quote a significant threat to the safety of the public unquote september 8th 2021 matthew told the review board that the weight of the tragedy bears heavily on his shoulders and has not lightened over time he also said he's truly sorry and he carries the shame 24 7 and will forever and that he is committed to managing his illness you know he oh gosh this case is so sad because he you know he wasn't he was in a mental break at the time he did that had he had not suffered from schizophrenia this never would have happened it you know it wasn't who he was he didn't want to cause people harm so this case is just so incredibly sad for so many reasons in an article i found published september 12 2014 by the cbc it states that that home that this tragedy happened in it was sold for four hundred and twenty five thousand dollars that means it sold only five months after the massacre the article only mentions the last name of the buyer and his age which is 23 year old osborne and that he plans to live in it alone and he bought it for redemption purposes and i believe his faith was a factor in this purchase in 2020 a memorial garden was set up to honor the brentwood five in south glenmore park called the quintera legacy garden in this garden you can find ornamental trees a stage for performances to be held giant sculptures of musical instruments and five benches with plaques on them um remembering the young lives lost so each plaque will will have a name of you know each of the each of the brentwood five on it and the parents did this because the you know they their children were so creative and they loved dancing and singing and music so they just thought that this was a really nice way to honor them like a very creative nice nice park garden area so that concludes this week's case on the brentwood five massacre absolutely oh it's absolutely devastating for every parent involved including matthews it's you know usually i don't really i don't really 
feel for the perpetrator but in this case it's just it's just such a different case so you know I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna give a hell no in this one to be honest with you nobody gets a hell no that yeah that concludes this week's case um if you're on if you're listening to me on Spotify, please give me a five-star rating. I would really appreciate that. And you can also follow me on Spotify. So you just go to Hell No True Crime Podcast. Give me a five-star rating, please. And hit, there's a follow button. Just hit that. So anytime I have a new episode come out, it'll it'll pop up pretty quickly on your spotify and also please check out the hell no a true crime podcast facebook and instagram page i am on there and i post photos pertaining to the cases i cover on there thanks for listening and see you next week bye 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 bye